Friends, would you turn with me to God's sweet word, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul writes, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, if that which was brought being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. But to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because Only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But, friends, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, with unveiled face, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Do you mind if I keep going? It's so good, isn't it? Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, for we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Listen to the veiling language carrying on here. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case... The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. 
with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, you have a very weak preacher, but you have a very great word. Father, by your spirit tonight, we beg you, open our eyes to see the glory of Jesus and so make our faces shine, reflecting his glory. And I pray, Father, particularly for the bruised, the suffering, the struggling, the proud, the doubtful, wherever people are at here tonight. Open our eyes. Transform us. That from the bottom of our hearts we might be able to say, our highest pleasure is Him. And we would live and die for the glory of Jesus. In his magnificent name. Amen. Have you ever thought about the power of the things you look at? Have you thought about how what you look at shapes you? That's what we're going to consider now. And I want to start with a little story the great theologian Augustine told about his friend Alepius. Now, Alepius, he was a zealous, serious-minded, upright young guy. And particularly, Alepius had a hatred for his culture's love of gladiatorial shows. The Roman world's live torture porn. But, Augustine tells us, some of Alepius' friends used friendly violence to take Alepius to a fight. And he says, when they arrived and had found seats where they could, the entire place seethed with the most monstrous delight in the cruelty. Alepius kept his eyes shut and forbade his mind to think about such fearful evils. Would that he had blocked his ears as well. A man fell in combat, and a great roar from the entire crowd struck him with such vehemence he was overcome by curiosity. He opened his eyes. The shouting entered by his ears and forced open his eyes. As soon as he saw the blood, he at once drank in savagery and did not turn away. His eyes were riveted. He imbibed madness. Without any awareness of what was happening to him, he found delight in the murderous contest and was inebriated by bloodthirsty pleasure. 
Augustine says, he was not now the person who had come in. He took the madness home with him so that it urged him to return. What you look at changes you. It stamps itself upon your soul. Whatever it is, the thing that you spend time holding in your gaze will mold you into its own image. And that's exactly what we see in the Old Testament passage that Paul has in mind here in 2 Corinthians 3. Now, this would be worth having a finger, a neighbor's finger, a bit of paper, something in as we look at this, because this can be very relevant. The passage worth turning to is Exodus 32 to 34. Now, just trying to keep this open, because this is what's on Paul's mind. Now, in Exodus 32... You can see it if you look at verse 5. Aaron and the Israelites, they see their golden calf idol. They see it. And like their mindless idol, they become mindless. They forget the Lord and his mighty deliverances. Fix your gaze on sin. And it will dehumanize you. It will rob you of your ability to think straight, to love straight, to relate to God and others aright. It will shrivel you to death. But next to that episode... Exodus 33 and 34, we see Moses who, Exodus 33, 18, Moses, the Israelites have seen the calf idol. Moses asks to see the glory of the Lord. And the result there, where the Israelites became mindless, like their idol, the result here. Exodus 34:29 When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain Moses did not know the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God Now here's what Paul says on that 2 Corinthians 3:18 We all, like Moses, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Created in the image of God, that we might be like God, sharing his life, his vitality, his character, we become what we were made to be by looking to Christ, who is the image of God. Beholding him, 
we become most truly human. And all our faculties, our minds, our hearts, our lives get aligned right. And we are transformed into his image. It matters where you look. It's why the Lord says in Isaiah 45, look to me all the ends of the earth and be saved. It's why the psalmist in Psalm 17 says, as I rise, as for me, when I rise, I shall behold your face and when I wake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. So let's press into Paul's argument here. Do you see he's making a comparison? He's making a comparison that as Moses would remove the veil whenever he turned to the Lord to go in to be with him, and as Moses' face began to shine as he spent time with his Lord, so the veil over our minds is removed when we turn to the Lord and we begin to shine with his glory reflected when we spend time in communion with him. There's that comparison. But do you see there's also a contrast going on? Paul's showing us that Moses had one kind of glory... We have another. Have a look at verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death carved on letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which is being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Now, what Paul's doing here is vital to see. He's showing the contrast between the law and the gospel. Between what he calls, in verse 6, the letter and the spirit. He's showing the contrast between what you get in Moses and what you get in Jesus. And he's saying, a ministry of the law, thou shalt do this, thou shalt do that. That kind of ministry will appear glorious because it is truth from God. But that ministry will not have the same power as the ministry of the gospel. Now let's see why. Come back to Exodus and look at what Moses was shown. Exodus 33, verse 18. Here's why the difference. Moses said, please show me your glory. What a question. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I'll show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. But you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. 
And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So, what Moses saw... And this was symbolic for what the Israelites would be shown in the law was the goodness of God. Beautiful. Incredible. In the law, Moses is Mr. Law here, symbolizing what they get. In the law, the Israelites would see the holy perfection of God. They'd see that God provides sacrifice for sin. They'd see that God is absolutely committed to his people. They'd see on and on and on all these glorious truths about the goodness and mercy and grace of God. But what Moses did not see on Sinai and what you did not get to see in the law was the very face of God. Now come back to 2 Corinthians. Paul's argument about this ministry carries on in chapter 4. That's why I wanted to read those verses from the beginning of chapter 4. And he keeps talking about this issue of veiling in verse 3. It's the same argument going on. And then we read 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. Remember, Moses heard, My face shall not be seen. We hear, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In the law, the Israelites saw the sacrifices. We see the cross. They saw so much less. A picture of the reality. Moses said, please show me your glory. We have seen the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his being. We have seen Christ who is the glory of God. And we have seen the hour of his glorification when he was lifted up. And then we saw the goodness of God pass before us. In those nail marks, in those gasped words of forgiveness, we saw the goodness of God pass before us. We have seen glory in the face of Christ that we would never have dreamed of. Glorious humility. Glorious patience. Glorious holiness. Glorious love. The rainbow colors of God's perfections all blazoned out for us to see at the cross. This, friends, is the sight that tears the veil away. 
This is the sight that scatters the darkness. This is the sight we are to placard before the saints as we gather. And whether you preach, whether you sing, whether you manage PA, whether you welcome, whatever, point people to the glory of God in the face of Christ. Because only in the face of Christ, especially Christ crucified, do you see how glorious, how beautiful, how perfect, how desirable, how all-satisfying this God is. There are some here tonight of whom Paul would say, a veil lies over their hearts. Maybe you felt it this evening. Christ has not been delightful to you. Other things have had a more appealing glow. God has seemed distant, unappealing. Oh, my friend, turn and look to Him. L- look to Him covered in blood, screaming in pain. This is no distant bore, but a God streaming with love who could not love you more. A God who dies to embrace you and to never let you go. Look, look and live. And if you're feeling, do you know, this is all very well. Yes, God, yes, God does seem glorious. Yes, he does seem beautiful, but he's not for me because he's pure light and I'm so dirty and dark. If that's you, my friend, we see the glory of God God in the cross. God loves to display his glory in forgiving great sinners. And so if you do feel your sin tonight, don't rob God of his glory and try to cover it yourself. That's his glory to do that. No. If you feel your sin tonight, come to him now. Come to him now. Hold it all out and let him prove himself as a glorious and faithful redeemer. That's how he glorifies himself. He loves to do it. And this sight of the glory of Christ, it isn't just a sight to win and save the unbeliever. The sight of the glory of Christ is just what makes the faces of the saints shine. They see him, and saints, when they see the glory of Christ, they come alive. They blossom in this light. This Friends, is the sight that you and I and all the saints need.
Because the glory of God in the face of Christ, it's like, it's like a warming light on a winter morning. It's like the turn of winter into spring. The light grows, makes lives blossom. And that's why the glory of God is regularly associated in Scripture with a shining light. Think of uh, the glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds that night in Bethlehem. The, The glory cloud of the Lord blazing before the Israelites. And for the Christian, it works like this. This is how the Christian is transformed. It works like this. Imagine, this could possibly happen in May, though it's unlikely. Imagine tomorrow morning, you wake up in beautiful bath, but everywhere is covered in thick snow. Thick snow. Everyone's blocked in. And so all the forces get together. Everyone comes out in their hundreds and they start shoveling and clearing and digging, sweeping the ice away, trying to clear it. Hard, hard work by hundreds. And you know how it is. It hardly even works. The cars are still skidding around everywhere. People still can't get out their drives. And then out comes the sun. Out comes the sun spreading its warmth. And in a few hours, where's the snow? Passed away. That is what the glory of Christ does in the gospel. Where his face shines, sin's hard frost melts away. So, friend, what is it you struggle with? What is it you've been struggling with this week? Whatever it is, don't simply try to shovel it away, thinking that a lot of sweeping is going to sort your life out. It won't. Put everything under his warming light. See, see him in Scripture. Start and finish your day praising him. And compare him to all that tempts you. Compare him. See how he loves you. You don't need to earn his love. See how he forgives you. You don't need to bear that guilt. You don't need to be imprisoned by it. See how he is better and more fulfilling than your sin. How you have more joy when you walk with him. And do that and you will find the coldness and the grip of enslaving ways thawing and loosening about you. Did you notice that extraordinary verse in Exodus 34? A little comment, just almost a by the by, 
Moses did not realize his face was shining. Huh. Wow. You see, Moses was not trying to look radiant. Show-offs, listen to that one. Moses wasn't trying to look radiant. This was an unforced, unconscious radiance. For when a person looks on the glory of God, what happens is this. The light of God's pure holiness exposes them. And they see and feel their sin like they've never done before. And so, to your comfort, brothers and sisters, a person who looks on the glory of God will feel more sinful, but will look more glorious. This is the sight that will fill our hearts, that will enable us to minister to God's people and to reach the world. If you don't have this vision in your eyes of Christ and his preciousness, you will go out in the strength of your own adrenaline and wisdom. You will go out and you will burn out. Fill your eyes with the glory of Christ. Ensure that he is precious to you. And then, of course, you'll not want to proclaim yourself. Because, you see, he's glorious and you're not. Not glorious like he is. In his light, you'll want to share him. Brothers and sisters, this is what we are designed for. We gather to behold the glory of God because this is the nub of the eternal life we've been given. God the Father has eternally enjoyed the perfection of his Son. We're just joining in with his happiness. That's our life. And we're joining in with the Son's life. Crying, Abba, we praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. That's the Son's life. And then and only then do we think and feel straight when the one who is preeminent in reality becomes preeminent in our thoughts and when the beloved of the Father becomes the beloved of our hearts. Then we're aligned right. And so, in that transformation begins the work that will be perfected when, as 1 John 3, 2 puts it, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall see him. And that sight, when we actually clap eyes on our king, physical eyes, that sight will be so majestically affecting, we will be entirely transformed. 
entirely transformed. And then we will be completely alive. Body and soul like Jesus. Shining like stars. Our hearts perfectly in tune as we sing his praises. Theologians used to call that sight of him the beatific vision. For that sight of him is a happifying sight. When he appears in the full sweetness of his glory and when we behold him, it will mean the blasting away of all sin. The blasting away of all pain in us. It will mean the scattering of all darkness, the end of all earthquakes, the end of all dictatorships, the end of all abuse. That is our blessed hope. The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We will see him face to face and that will perfect our transformation into his likeness. Come, Lord Jesus. That is our hope. But even now, the shining sight of him by faith begins to drive away our night. We feel the dawn rising. Even now, with unveiled face, we behold the glory of the Lord and he begins to put an end to the crookedness and the viciousness inside us. Even now, we begin to shine. So, what does all this mean for how we gather to worship? I'm hoping it should be very obvious. But... For worship God, I thought it'd be helpful to think about it through that core word of worship, hallelujah. Do you know the word hallelujah has a double meaning? Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Hallelujah, praise Yah, Yahweh, the Lord. But that root hallelujah, hallel, that we usually translate praise, the first meaning of that root is to shine. Meaning. A meaning of hallelujah is may the Lord shine forth. For when we make him known in our praises, then the one enthroned between the cherubim shines forth, lifted up and placarded in the praises of his people. This is Psalm 80, where the psalmist cries, Restore us, O Lord, may your face shine upon us that we may be saved. For the shining forth of the Lord means the overcoming of our darkness the opening of our eyes, the overcoming of sin and evil and the bringing of life. Hallelujah. May the Lord shine forth. And he will. 
until that day when there is no more night. And they will not need the light of lamp or light of sun, for the glory of God will fill the earth. Revelation 22. And then the winter of our discontent will be made glorious summer by this Son of God. (laughs) And yet, we ridiculous sinners don't find that easy, do we? Having the Lord shine forth because I want to outshine him. Right? Know what I mean? We want the glory. We want to outshine him. (laughs) Aren't we idiots? It makes me think of there was a time when the great military conqueror, Alexander the Great, at the height of his victory and glory, he met the little philosopher Diogenes. And meeting this little man, he strode over to him and said, what can I do for you? Thinking he was so great. He had so much to offer. Diogenes looked up and said, get out of the sunlight. (laughs) It was the best thing Alexander could do. People who think they are glorious are shadows. They get in the way of the sunshine of Christ, rather like the God of this world. Friends, especially if you're used to being up front, recognize the devilry of self-glory and step aside. Let people see the light of Christ. And the other key thing you need to see here, especially if you're thinking about ministering to others in some way. Now, this passage, 2 Corinthians 3 and into 4, it's a passage about ministry. He talks about ministering, about heralding Christ. But did you notice the language he uses? The language Paul uses echoes very strongly his own personal experience. Notice that? Beholding the glory of the Lord, receiving the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That was Paul's first experience of Jesus Christ. A dazzling light on the Damascus road. Scales falling from his eyes so he could see. And it's worth noting Paul's experience here because the even though he's talking about ministry here, the first thing Paul did with the, with the light was look at it. That's worth seeing because it means that, friend, before anything else, before you even think about showing others the glory of Christ, behold the glory of Christ yourself. 
and find yourself transformed. Friends, this is what we gather to behold. This is what is worth living and dying for, reveling in the light of the glory of Christ and reflecting, heralding him. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for comfort, wealth, success, status. They are piffling and passing things. Have your mind aligned right to be blossoming as more fully human. And however exactly you do it, as a singer, as a pastor, as a student, as a mum, live and die for the glory of Jesus. Because only he has the power to change people and change the world and make an eternal difference for good. Let me finish in Geneva. Geneva was a city 450 years ago that was turned on its head by the knowledge of Christ. At the beginning of the 16th century, the city motto of Geneva was post tenebras spero lucem. After darkness, I hope for light. That could be the motto of the world, couldn't it? Hoping for some possible light at the end of this world of pain and death. When the Reformation hit Geneva, they changed the city motto to post tenebras looks. After darkness, light. For they believed that in the arrival of the Reformation, they'd received the light that they'd been hoping for. Now, what was that light? What was that light that transformed them? Was it a doctrine? Free forgiveness because of God's own kindness? No more need to work to earn God's favor? Was that it? Yes. But more. John Calvin was quite specific on this. Through those great gospel doctrine rediscoveries of the Reformation, Christ was shown to be glorious. Christ was shown to be gracious, kind, compassionate, powerful, to save and keep to the uttermost. If we are to see cities turned around, enlightened, if we are to see light driving out darkness in our world today, Christ must be shown to be glorious, more precious, more desirable than anything else. Brothers and sisters, may that always be true for you. Hallelujah. May the Lord shine forth until the full dawning of his day. Amen.